Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, um, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the book of John? The book of John. So we have been going as a church. We're going to be going through the book of John together, and it's probably going to take us a good while just to get through it. We're, we're literally only on chapter 2 right now. <laughs> so we're on John uh, chapter 2, and this, this is going to be an interesting conversation today, uh, and, and specifically that's why we sang a song, Jesus Brings New Wine, because today we talk about uh, a very peculiar, interesting miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospels. And so before we do that, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there, we're going to have it on the screen, but let's just go ahead and, and invite the power of God into this moment, right now. Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for your word. That is a, a lamp into our feet, God, a light into our path, God, and um, we just ask, Lord, as your word does, that it would pierce straight to our soul and that it would do only what you have established and called it to do. We do ask, Father, that this would be inspired by who you are, by the power of and the anointing of your life and your wonder in our life. So we just ask God that um, as we open up our hearts to this conversation, that it would be received well, because this is your word. And so we love you, we honor you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is where Jesus changes water into wine. And so remember, I'm going to remind you every single week, the book of John, as we go through this, Each book has a particular bend, a particular angle. Each book has a particular audience. And so John is primarily speaking to Jews, but also he's inviting the Greek into that, right? Or or, um, those that did not know, those that were not Jewish, basically everyone here that's not Jew, right? That doesn't practice the Hebrew way, the Jewish way, that whole culture. Um, It's an invitation. And so what John does over and over, you can look at every chapter, he's pointing us back to the divinity of Jesus, that he is in fact divine, that he is in fact God. So notice as we look at this passage of scripture, we might be enamored by the wine, but more specifically, John is trying to invite us into the miracle behind it, okay? So let's read together. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So notice there's now more people coming to the wedding, Jesus and his disciples. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Then when the wine was gone, Jesus, they have no more wine. Then woman, he says, woman, or if we translate it, right, because you might think woman is kind of condescending, but in this culture, it actually wasn't. Um, it, it was of utmost respect. So, but we can paraphrase it, mom. Hey, mom, like, wh- why are you involving me in this? Like, what's going on, <laughs> right? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stones, six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So John's trying to tell us there is a lot Uh, There's a big amount that can be placed in this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it. 
to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. When he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guest have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed. Here it is. This is John speaking. What's the point of John? Through which he revealed his glory, his divinity, right? And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. If I had a title or... um, a conversation to which would, would wrap what we're trying to say, it would be more than enough. More than enough. Jesus, in everything he does, in our life, if you can understand the depth of who he is in our life, is he wants to bring more than enough. He's not just a God of like kinda or a little. He's a God of way more than enough, way more than you could ever imagine. Your mind cannot comprehend how powerful, he's more than enough for you. Like, we can just pause there, and we can celebrate that. But for some of us, it's like, well, that doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like he's more than enough in my life. It feels like I actually, if you looked at who I am, if you looked at my life, it doesn't seem like, where is Jesus in all of the lack in my life? And so what we need to examine then is it's not, he's not just here to bring you materialistic things. That is a very skewed view of Jesus. I would argue, if I could be honest, that is an Americanized Jesus. No, I mean, well, he's not more than enough in my life. It's like, okay, define that for me, please. Well, you know, I could have more money and I could have more things and I don't really have like that house with the white picket fence like I really want. It's like Jesus just isn't enough for me. It's like, really? that Okay, so Jesus is correlated to like materialistic things for you? That's, that's a Jesus that's bent towards success. That is not the Jesus of Nazareth. So we have to be careful in our American culture that we, we have to realize that, that Jesus isn't so concerned about your success, okay? He's much more concerned about who he is inside of here in your life. So you can go your entire life and, and, and the American culture might not succeed at all. But did you do what God, called you to, what, what, what God called you to do? Did you live out a life of purpose and of meaning? Did you uh, pursue righteousness? Did you abide in him? Jesus would say, no, 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 you've been successful in my eyes. You've walked with me. You've, you've, you've learned from me. You've, you've allowed my teaching to shape you. Now, I would argue that a man or woman that bends his every part of who he is or she is, 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 is shaped it and in, in, in structured around the way of Jesus, I would argue that then, that man or woman isn't after success, but success could, could come to them, right? Now, hear me, this is not like prosperity gospel. Good luck with that. However, when I abide in him and him in me, he says nothing's an impossible, impossibility. So, all of a sudden then, there's, there's not as much chaos that I bring to my life when he is the source of who I am. Does that make sense? So then he's more than enough in my chaos. He's more than enough in my despair. So he shifts, he changes, he does so much more to my comprehension of this life 
Because now I, I, I'm listening and I'm obeying and I'm walking with him. So he's more than enough for you in your lack, okay? So let's just go contextual for a moment. And I'll say this every week, but I have to teach this, okay? So let me teach it and then I'll preach it. Does that sound good? Okay, so for a Jewish feast, wine was essential. Now, we're going to have a conversation about alcohol and wine and all that. Yes, sure, we should, we must, because we live in a culture where it's not like the Jewish culture, and we'll get in that in a moment, but for a Jewish culture in a feast, in a wedding, wine was essential. The rabbis would say, without wine, it was not, without wine, there is no joy. That's what the rabbis would say. Now listen, it was not that people were drunk, but in this part of the world, wine was essential, so drunkenness was in fact a great disgrace over and over and over in the scriptures, it points that out. And they actually drank their wine, please hear this, in a mixture composed of two parts wine to three parts water. Do you know that? So I, I know a lot of people that are like, hey man, it's all good, and I'm, not talk I'm talking about like the drunken culture. There is, can we, can we all agree with that? There is a culture that it's like, let's drink to get drunk and to party and get wasted. Like, good luck with that, if we're being honest, because what does that lead to? Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so it was incredibly diluted. Now hear me, I'm not telling you don't, like you can, you go for it, go for it. But it's drunkenness that we're after here. Now this isn't even the point of the message, but we have to talk about it, however, Drunkenness was, in fact, a great disgrace. Now, at any time, the failure of provisions would have been a problem for this culture. Why? Hospitality was, like, up here. Hospitality was incredibly imperative to this culture. So for hospitality in the Middle East, it was a sacred duty. It was a sacred duty. That's why I love, like, my, like, Latino heritage, Right? The, like, mi casa, su casa, right? You have that, like, when you walk in front of your house, it says it. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to embody it. You know, I don't know if Marky's here, but he, he, I don't think he is, but I, I had a friend growing up in, in high school and junior high, and I mean, like, his mom and dad were first-gen Latinos, right? And, I mean, you walked in there, and it was like, immediately, what do you want to eat? Are you, are you hungry? How can, we, how can we, and it was like, how can we serve you? How can we make you feel at home? to where it was almost to the point where like you had to eat, yeah. right? Now that, that is a culture of hospitality. And then I've also been in spaces, and, and maybe we've fallen short in that to be honest, where it's like someone comes in the house and it's like, no one's ever asked if they're hungry, if they want something to drink, and it's just like, it's a little uncomfortable. If you're, if you're in an environment that is incredibly hospitable. This is the context, by the way. When you came to anyone's home, it was a sacred duty to make them feel like they were the most, they were the VIP of the house. So notice, if you're at a wedding, which by the way, it shows us that, that Mary, Jesus' mother, for some reason she had like a role in this, or else she wouldn't have got frantic and said, we're, we're running out of something. So she had a role. It could be, theologians argue, that they, they had a close relationship with the bride and the bridegroom. So it would have brought the embarrassment and the shame for the provisions to fail. It would be like terrible humiliation for the bride and the bridegroom. Like humiliated. They were the talk of the town forever. Imagine your marriage being established that way with humiliation. 
So it would have brought embarrassment and shame to that home that day if the wine had run out. It was to save a humble Galilean family from hurt that Jesus put forth his power. It was in sympathy and empathy and kindness and understanding for ordinary people that Jesus acted. He didn't have to do that. There was no like paparazzi there. The Pharisees weren't even in the room, right? It was just a Galilean family, humble and meek, and something bad was happening, and Jesus steps in. He's like, no, I'll take care of this. Nearly everyone can do the big things on the big occasion, right? But it takes Jesus to do the big things on a simple, small, homely occasion like this. There is a kind of natural human maliciousness, watch this, which rather enjoys the misfortunes of others and delights to make a good story of them in idle gossip. Like, like we wouldn't have e-news. It's not e-news. What's the other one? TMZ. We wouldn't have TMZ if we didn't live in a culture that loved the gossip and the slander and the malicious act of somebody or something on somebody else, right? Yeah. It's like, man, you can make money out of that. Right. So Jesus is like, not, not with me. That's not how it works with me. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to bring provision to this small, humble little family so that this doesn't happen. Do you see how this shifts the whole conversation of like water into wine? He's doing this because he's saying, I, I am divine. I am more than enough in your life, right? So Jesus, the Lord of all, the King of glory, used his power to save a Galilean wedding couple from humiliation. It is just by such deeds of understanding, simple kindliness, that we too can show that we are followers of Christ. Have you thought about that? Like, how, how can you bring life to somebody? How can you bring a lot? Like, if, if, if there's humility that's about to come on somebody, like, do you step in? You know, like, um, my, my father, he, he, he told me that he was like the bully to the bully, Right? What do I mean by that? When, when bullies would mess around with the other people, he, he had a problem with it. <laughs> and I'm not saying he went and beat them up, but he would let them know, hey, you're not going to do that here. And I remember listening to that and, and seeing like, okay, there is a, a sense of protection to come against those that have an injustice done to them, right? Now, I'm not saying you go beat somebody up. And I'm not even saying that's what my dad did, but what he did is, is he would show me the way of Jesus. Hey, if someone is being spoken against and it's not true, you speak against that, right? You don't just let, like, I, I remember when I was in, like, a junior and senior, I was getting a little bit older, and you know when you're, like, the junior and senior in high school, you kind of, like, walk around like you're, like, the man? <laughs> At least I did, like, and God had to humble me, I promise, Right, Sean? You know what I'm talking about, bro. We, like, walked around. Sean's the quarterback. It's like, we got it all put together. I'm the water polo guy. It's like, great. And I remember I was a senior, and I was walking out to go to practice, and there was a fight taking place. And they were younger. It was, like, freshmen and sophomores. And I remember I was watching this, and I was walking, and they're just fighting. And everyone's getting in a circle and watching with their phones. And I remember I got in it, and I'm like, are you guys really just going to stand and watch this? Like, what's wrong with you guys? And I remember I broke it up, and it's like, I remember walking away, like, feeling, and that's like our culture now. No one, do you see all the TikTok clips? I hate TikTok, but you see, 
It's like it shows the worst of humanity. Someone could be getting bashed on their head, right, with a bat, and everyone has their phone out watching. They just want humiliation for people. I can promise you if Jesus is in the room, he's not going to let that happen. Now, we can, we can get real masculine with it. I don't know. He would, he would get in the middle of that. We can get on the feminine. Regardless, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. When humiliation comes to somebody, we shouldn't clap for that. We shouldn't applaud that. There's like a sense of, of something wrong with you if you kind of get thrilled by that. That's not the way of Jesus. And we see it right here, right now. There was humiliation that was about to take place, and he steps and he's like, no, nah, if I'm in the room, that's not going to happen. You see the difference in angle and seeing the, the story? So instinctively, Mary turned to Jesus. I love this part. She turns to Jesus whenever something went wrong. Now, again, theologians would argue that Joseph, Jesus' dad, could have already been passed away by this time. It was known in that culture sometimes that just the fathers, it's just, it's just a, lot, it's a lot harder on them, on their body, you know, and sometimes, I don't know, he could have passed away, but he's not in the picture. We see that, right? And so, so Jesus is the oldest, and he had a particular accountability. And, like, I love that Mary goes to Jesus in this moment. It's like, I, I'm a mama's boy, right? Where's my mom at? She's back there. I love my mom. And it's like, if, if, if my mom, although she can, she can bother me sometimes, it gets on my nerves, right? All our moms do that at times. But if, 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 if my mom comes to me, it's like, Sammy, I need your help, like, seriously, that's, that's what's happening right now in this moment. Mary knew that Jesus would show up. She knew that. Jesus would always show up. Jesus would always show up. He's my son. He's my boy. He's going to show up for me. But it's way, way, way more in depth. And he, notice what he tells her. He says, Mom, Mom, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. And I, maybe she didn't know what that meant. But, like, can you just go in the story with me? Imagine raising the son of God. How do you do that as a mom? <laughs> Imagine, like, seeing, like, Jesus and his divinity coming out in different moments of his life. Now, if you look at it in a theological sense, he didn't know he was God when he was younger. It started to come to him. And then he was in the synagogue. And then he was teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawgivers. But at a time, he was just a boy, he was just a young kid. But there was something different about this Jesus. However, Mary knew, when I go to my son, he's there for me. Right? So for you do, you, do you know that when you go to Jesus, he's there for you? And can you really comprehend that? Instinctively, she turns to Jesus. So many theologians, again, argue that Joseph, the husband, was passed away. And so the person Mary would turn to as the leader and as the guidance was Jesus. I just, just briefly, side note conversation. When you're married, right, when you're married, and you've been married for a while, so maybe not year one or two, but when you're married, you've been married for a while, like instinctively, I don't care what the culture says, a wife, a woman, she like really wants a, like a masculine man at times. Some of you are like, I mean, think about it. Just be honest. And I always give this analogy when we're doing like premarital stuff. If an earthquake came, and there was a meter coming to the house. <laughs> what, 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 is, what does the, the, the wife do with the husband, right? She looks to the husband like, what do we do? This, what's getting, what do we, instinctively, right? So we turn, there's a leader component there. There's, there's, there's a strength component there. There should be, in a healthy sense, a masculine component there. 
Now, my point is not masculine or feminine, but my point is Jesus showed up. He showed up for Mary in so many different ways, and, and, and he will show up for you. He will show up in your lack. He will show up in your brokenness. He will show up, and he brings that lioness for, for, for the moms. You can articulate that, but he also brings the lion. Does that make sense? So I tell guys all the time, like, hey, you need to learn how to be tough and tender. You need to learn how to be a lion, but then you need to learn how to be a lamb. Jesus knew how to articulate both of that. Does that make sense? So my point here is there's a strength as the leader. She looks to the leader. What do we do, Jesus? Right? She knew, though, Jesus can help, and Jesus did help. And he saved not only his mom from humiliation, because there's, there's a piece that she played in the story, but he saved the couple of shame. So it is still true that those who know Jesus intimately turn to him when things go wrong. I would hope that's your story, that when things go wrong in your life, you don't turn to anything else first but to Jesus. And everything you do, and, and the way that you live, and the way that you think, and the way that you embody. Now, now I, I love psychology. Who loves psychology in the room? Some of the older generations like, that's of the devil, right? I love psychology. I do. I love learning. I love thought. And if we're being honest, there was a time in the Roman Empire, in that, in that era, that psychology and pastoring were interconnected. I don't know if you knew that. There was a time when that happened where, where you could articulate and you could understand because the scripture points back to all of those things. And I could show you over and over and over again. Now, there's times where we go too far on the deep end where it's no longer like psychology. Now that's just like, that's just worldly. My point with that is, what do you go to when things go wrong, right? For me and Kel, we go to Jesus every time. We go to prayer, we go to God, we go to his word, we go to his way, we go to his thinking, we go to his processing, because I know that when we invite Jesus into whatever situation and chaos that we're in, he brings peace, because he's the prince of peace, and he brings life and light, and then he brings direction. Now, if you do that the other way around, good luck with that, because the way of the world is different than the way of Jesus, right? So I I know a culture, I just said it, that loves humiliation. Ah, let them be, they're just, whatever, they're just, do do their own thing. And then humiliation comes to them. That's not the way of Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so... The question is, do you turn to Jesus when things go wrong? Are you like Mary, where it's like, where is my son? Like, I need that guy, because he's going to fix this. He's going to show up. He's going to bring peace to this. So since we're on the topic, you guys good? Take a a deep breath, because I'm going all in on this, okay? Since we're on the topic of wine, I want to talk about it for a moment. You're like, oh, here we go. I want to hit on this just for a moment. And, And by the way, if you're taking notes, this is Sam's opinion. I want to make that really clear. So take a note. You can make a little star and say Sam's opinion. But, but notice my opinion comes through the lens of Scripture. So let's just talk about it for a moment. Wine, alcohol, and drunkenness was in the Bible. Wine, alcohol, and drunkenness. Were in, I can show you story after story after story after story. And none of them made, it, it never had a, a good outcome. So Mer, um, Hannah was, was praying for her young Samuel. She didn't have a baby. She was crying and praying out in the temple when they did the festivities and they would go and sacrifice. She was there and she was crying 
And Eli, the priest, comes out, and, she's, and he's like, why are you drunk? Are you drunk right now? So it was not a, it was a negative connotation of drunkenness because she's murmuring. She's crying. She's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm crying. I'm mourning. And there's more, more of those stories over and over and over. I could talk about Noah and his drunkenness, and he slept over, and that's a weird story in and of itself. But Noah, something didn't go well for him and his sons when he fell asleep in his drunkenness. You could look that story up on your own. So drunkenness leads to something, doesn't it? So if it's in the Bible, I want to know about it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's okay. It just means it's a part of humanity. It's a part of our story, right? So the Bible never says drunkenness is right. Did you know that? Never in any condition does it say drunkenness is a good thing or drunkenness is healthy or drunkenness leads to great things. It never says it's right. In fact, it calls it as sin. You know, I was, I was uh, listening to, I like to listen to books a lot and get my mind on like manhood and health and God and Jesus, and I'm, and I'm trying to rewire my brain every single day. And there's this, this, this a man from the 50s who's talking about manhood, and he said something that shook me because I'm like, man, we're like 2023, 20, and we still need this voice. And he's like, we, we have somehow taken the word sin out of the conversation. It's like, oh, no, that's, that's, like a, that's like a psychological term. It's like, oh, I think that's sin. <laughs> it's like, no, oh, no, that's, you know, it's just because they have a lot of anxiety. And it's like, okay, yes, but, like, what they're doing, that's sin. So what happens is we've taken sin out of the equation, and we say, like, it's okay again, because if we're, like, letting psychology lead us, it may lead us astray. So, like, call sin what sin is. You guys good with that? We live in a culture that we're not okay with doing that. It's like, that is wild. How can we grow and learn and flourish and develop and be mature disciples of Jesus unless we call it what it is? Sin is sin. So drunkenness, my friend, is sin. And if you're, the, you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're like, you're the way, the truth, and the life, teach me how to live. Okay, drunkenness is a sin, man. So what are you going to do about it? Right? So, you guys hear me on that? Yeah. That's all Bible. That's not, that's not Sammy's opinion. That's Bible. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, remember, the rabbis would say there is no joy without wine. Yes, it was not that people were drunk, but in this part of the world, remember, wine was essential. Now, I said this earlier, and I want to say it again. They actually drank their wine in a mixture composed of two parts of wine to three parts water. Um, I, okay, so Sammy's opinion now, okay? You guys ready for Sammy's opinion? I've had a lot of people, I personally don't drink. Sammy does not drink. I don't do it. I, in fact, I promise you, as the Lord is my witness, I'm not saying this to, 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 to toot my own horn. I've never even touched, it's not even touched my tongue. And you know where that came from? That came from my father. That came from my mom. Why? Because, let's talk psychology, there's a thing called family of origin. A family tree, psychologists will say. If you study my family of origin, you will see that there is addiction in my family, specifically and primarily in, al in alcoholism. My father told me a story. He, he had to tell me one time. You know when you're a little boy and your dad speaks into your life or your mom speaks into your life and it's just like a wire in your brain and you're like, man, I can never get that out? It could either be a good thing or a bad thing. Well, what my, dad, my father did, he, he gave me a good thing. He told me a story one time. Because I, I didn't really know my grandpa, my dad's dad. We saw him every, one, every blue moon. And my dad told me this story one time. He was in his, his, uh, his Chevy, 
you know, the stick shift. I remember, I remember the picture. And he said, you know, Sam, I want to tell you something. When I was a little boy, we were talking about Christmas. He said, my father would come on Christmas morning, and he would, like, verbally, I don't know if he said physically, he would push my mom around. And I could smell the alcohol in his, in his, coming from him. And he said, I hated that. I hated that. And I told myself, I will never be that man. But what was the story that he pulled me in with? Alcoholism. So I thought. And so he said, that's why, Sam, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't want that in our home. I don't ever want to become that man. And he said, I didn't really have God growing up. You know, he said, he said, I had Superman. <laughs> he said, I looked to Superman and said, that man is a man of integrity. He's a man of virtue. He's a man that comes to protect. And so he's like, my father was not that. And so then I talked to my mom, and my mom tells me that my, my, great, my great-grandpa, he was on his deathbed because his liver was dying because he was such an alcoholic in Mexico. And what saved him was a traveling evangelist came to the house, prayed for him, and he miraculously got saved from his deathbed, and he became a preacher. And so I'm like, oh, okay, so what was that again? Alcohol, he's going to die from alcoholism? So it will pass down. And I could tell you, I'm not here to share my family business, but I could tell you story after story after story after story from my mother's uh, brother's side of the family and from my dad's side of the family. So for Sam, I'm not doing it. I don't want that stuff. Get it away from me. Why? Because I'm not naive to my humanness. Now, friend, if you want to have... One, go for it. I'm not saying you shouldn't, or you should. I'm just saying, do you know what it leads to? Do you, can you comprehend? Kelly and I have had these conversations where, like, where I'm holding little Lenya, and oh, I love her, she's so sweet. And I'm like, I, I know her family of origin. I know what's in this little girl's DNA. And for me, just for me, for me and Kelly, we're not going to invite alcohol into our home. Why? I don't know what Lenya can hold. I don't, I don't want her to grow up in a culture that says this is because the culture we live in, I said it earlier, it's to party. Yeah. I, I know the high, some high school friends in this room. And there were times, because I would go, I would go <laughs> to be with the girls and see them and dance with them. I would never go to drink. And it was always the weirdest thing. Like, Sam, you want something to drink? No, I'm good, man. It's like, why? Like, what, why are you here then? But I remember, I remember what it would do to the people around me. I remember the smell of it and the stink of it, and it was just disgusting. But what would it lead to over and over and over again? The culture of the 20-somethings in the 18, 16, 17, 20s is we drink to get drunk, man. It's a party. It's a lifestyle. Let's live it up. And it's like, well, did you know that when you're drunk as a woman, you're, you're more aroused? Do you know that? Do you know that it, it can pull something out of you that, like, you kind of want to be safe with, and it pulls something? Did you know as a man, I can tell you story after story after story of men that have lost their marriage because they had one too many drinks at a bar, and they just forgot about everything. You hear, do you hear my heart here? I'm not telling you don't go and drink. I'm not telling you to go and drink. I'm just saying, know who you are as a disciple of Jesus. Know where, know, know where this leads to. And if we're on the note, if we're part of this community and you're like serving in the kids and we're here on worship, could we just be really careful what we post then as leaders, right? Like some of us don't like that conversation, but it's like, you're a leader, man. Stand up. If you want to be a leader and have authority, you need accountability. So you want to be a leader of your home and lead your home well, then you're going to have some accountability. 
And that accountability as the leader of the home is going to come from Jesus. It's going to come from God. So when you're reading the scripture and he calls something out of you, it's accountability. If you're like hanging out in the house and you're not doing what you're supposed to do and your wife's calling you out, she's pulling out the accountability from the authority that God's given you in the home. You guys good with that? You're like, the whole room is just done. Okay, let me just read you this passage of scriptures. Proverbs 23 says this. Do not gaze at wine when it is red. This is a proverb, wisdom literature. When it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging, They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can just find another drink? This this isn't Sammy's. Like, this this is the Bible. Are you good with the Bible? Are you good with the teaching? Right? Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Right? But his way is in the law in the delight of the Lord. This is the law and the delight of the Lord. And that man who follows that route is blessed and prosperous. So for me, I don't want to be like the snake and the poison and the like, all of that stuff. No, thank you. So I'm good. I'll be all right. You guys hear that? Okay. Now understand being able to have a drink and that's it, but it's, it's what it can do to you in your drunkenness that becomes dangerous. It's such a hot topic, right? It really is, but I'm here for it if I'm being honest. So Pastor Sam, what are your thoughts on drinking? I already made it clear. I'm not telling you not to drink, but why do you need it? Friend, why do you need it? Now, you can argue in in theology that Paul writes to Timothy, and he's like, dude, my stomach's killing me. I'm sick. Paul's like, just have a glass of wine. It can purify you. It helps you. There's some medicine in it. But he's not saying, Paul or Timothy, go party it up, man. Like, that's what's going to cure this. That's what the world says. (laughs) I'm just really down and out. It's like, hey, man, let's go to the bar and have some fun. Go to, with the bros and, and have a blast. Let's just like push all of that away and just wipe it all and we'll just, we'll cover it all with alcohol, right? Some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church. <laughs> <laughs> it's for fun. And what does that fun lead to, right? People are killing others at the hands of a drunk driver if you're in high school i don't remember what that thing was kelly did it and it was the saddest thing in the whole wide world i don't know how they put their parents through it where like you like took a handful of students and they died at the hands of a drunk driver and then we had an assembly and everyone had to come the world even knows wrong every 15 minutes thank you and I remember I was there, and Kelly's mom had to be in an interview, and like they were doing like the funeral for Kelly because she got hit at a drunk driver. She was in a car with someone, and like everyone in the assembly were like crying and weeping. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's terrifying. Like, what are they doing to us? Well, th- that's behavior modification. No, no, no. What does this do to my soul? What are you covering up? If, if, if you have an addiction, there's something going on underneath the surface in the hood of your soul. We need to talk about that, not the, the alcohol. That's just a byproduct of what's inside. So what's going on inside, friend? What, 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 are you, what are you trying to cover? What are you trying to, like, 
shape over it? Is it your family lifestyle? Is, is it your depression? Is it because of what happened when you were a child and you can't seem to work through it? Is it because you're alone and you're lonely? Like, it, it, there's, your, your soul and your mind create your thoughts and your will, and those will and mind and thoughts create your behaviors. So if your behaviors are addictive, we need to talk about your soul. And Jesus, my friend, can get inside of your soul. Only you can invite him in there, and he changes you. What does he do? He makes you new. Right? And so I'll have the conversation about wine every day. It's no big deal to me. It's fine. But it's like, what does the wine do? You have to crush it. How do you produce good wine? You have to crush it and stamp on, step on it. And there's stories in the Bible of Gideon, and he's like stepping on it. And the angel comes, and it's like he was doing that. And there's a crushing, and there's a building. And put some more in, man, so I can crush this. So I can stand on this, so I can walk on this, so that it becomes purified. So I want God to do that in my life, because he makes new things out of old. And it'll taste better. Like, if you want Jesus in your life, you you want to produce good fruit, then let let him step on you a little bit. Let him work with you a little bit. Abide in him. Let him prune you. Let him reshape you. Let him remold you. All right, you guys good with that? Okay, now, now I'm almost done here, but I want to read this passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 10. These are for the leaders in the room. Do you consider yourself a leader? Everybody's a leader to some capacity. It says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Why am I, why am I talking about this so much? Because this is our culture. I'm going to speak against the culture. If it's, not against the way of Je- if it's not the way of Jesus and it's the culture, I'm going to speak against it. So I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever, notice here, invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Now, it's going to take too long to explain this, other than like the law says you couldn't eat certain things in front of a Greek, or if you were a Jew, you couldn't eat pig, right? So if pig's put in front of you, are you going to eat it if you're in front of the unbeliever? This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of your conscience. I'm referring to the person's conscience, not yours. Here it is. For why is my freedom being judged by another conscience? If I partake in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Here it is. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Now, do not cause another to stumble. Whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, Paul says, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is a leader we're talking about. A leader. So for me, if you were to like walk with me and just do life with me, I'm not perfect. But I I know even more so, you're watching me. You're watching me. So what is is he going to do when this happens? What is he going to say? Go to a wedding. There's alcohol. Is he gonna? Is he gonna have some? Like, what is he gonna do? What's the pastor gonna do? <laughs> For me, I'm thinking about you. I'm not thinking about me. I don't need. I don't need it. 
Why, why am I doing that? Here's why. I can tell you, and Eric can do the same thing. We can tell you of man after 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 man that have addictions, addictions, real ingrained addictions in their life. And one of them is alcoholism. And it leads to divorce. Why does it lead to divorce? Because when you drink, you get drunk, you get angry, you start abusing, you get, it's crazy, it's, it's ridiculous. We can tell you story after story after story. That's the world, by the way. Why is that happening in the church? Right? So for me, in my house, for me and Kelly, uh, I'm good. Because you're watching. You might struggle with that. Right? You might. As a leader, I don't need that. That's not just alcohol. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of things because I need to know the way that I live my life, the way that I structure my life, the way that I post, even post, I want people to know, if you follow me long enough, I will lead you to the, to the gates of heaven. I don't want to lead you to the gates of hell. So woe is me then. I, Paul says, will be judged harsher. Because I open up this Bible, I'm going to be, do you know I'm going to be judged harsher than you? So if you want to come preach, good luck with that, man. You're going to be judged. Be okay. So I, I then say, all right, I take that as a virtue. A challenge. Stand up, man. Stand up. Don't be selfish. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Live in such a way that invites people into the glory and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus himself. But woe is me then if I lead you astray. You hear that? So if you're a leader in the room, which by the way, in, in some capacity you are, are you leading people astray? All right, here's my last point. Look at verse four. Mom, why do you involve me? Why? If Jesus' hour hasn't come yet, why did he perform this miracle? First, I'd say because he loves his mom, right? More accurately, because he gave himself permission. We're done with this. This is, this is my last point. Jesus, my, my hour is not up, mom. Why are you asking me? Jesus gave himself permission. If you look at the etymology of permission, it's per Mission. So whatever Jesus did, as long as it was anchored into the call that he had in his life, he gave himself permission by the Father. So you have permission to be a man and a son of God. You have permission to stand and walk and to say no to some things and to say yes to others. You have a per permission. Per your mission, are you living out the call of God over your life? Jesus gave himself permission. Mom, my time isn't up yet, but I'm going to do this for you because this is going to point to the divinity of who Jesus is. And that's the story of John chapter 2 with the water into the wine. He doesn't just fill it up halfway. He fills it up to the brim. He does more and more and more in our life. Two points and then we're done. There were six stones, water pots, and at the command of Jesus, the water in them turned into wine. According to the Jews, seven Seven, there were six stones. Seven is the number of completion and perfection. So the six is the number which is unfinished and imperfect. The six stone water pot stand for all the imperfection of the Jewish law. He's coming to fulfill the Jewish law. Jesus came to do away with the imperfections of the law and to put in their place the new wine of what? The gospel, the way of Jesus. 
of the way of grace. Jesus turned the imperfection of the law into the perfection of the grace. And then there's another thing to note in this connection. There were six water pots, each held between 20 and 30 gallons of water. That's a lot of water, friend. Jesus turned the water into wine. That would give anything up to 180 gallons of wine. Simply to state, that fact is to show that John did not mean the story to be taken with crude literalness. What John did mean to say is that when the grace of Jesus comes on men and women, what happens? He makes it more than enough in your life. He brings more than enough. He'll, he'll overflow your cup. He'll overflow your family. He'll overflow with his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. He brings everything into fruition. He doesn't just fill up your pot. It overflows. It, it hits the rim, the brim. So no wedding party on earth could drink 180 gallons of wine. It's too much. What's he trying to say? I come to give more than enough. So in your life, he comes to bring more than enough. So that's the invitation. Man, I want more than enough in my life. I want, I want then, then, then I have to change the way I think and the way I process and the way that I live. And I have to be turned into the man that Jesus has called me to be.